0: Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Allie Warshawski, and today on our podcast, we speak with Bob Hirsch of Grant Thornton. They have an upcoming conference on how manufacturers are adapting to working through and working beyond the pandemic. Bob is the National Managing Principal of the Manufacturing Industry and the Practice Leader for the Metro New York and New England areas. Bob, welcome to the podcast. It's
1: great to be here, Allie.
0: For those of us who don't know, tell us a little bit about Grant Thornton, where you're located, and what work you do specifically.
1: So we are a, um, what I would call a full-service professional services firm. So we practice in audit, tax, and advisory. Uh, it's a global business, about a $5 billion global um, global revenue. Here in the United States, we're about $2.5 billion. Um, we tend to focus in the middle market and above, again, with a full suite of services. So Whatever our clients, whenever our clients come to us with an issue, whether it's strategy, operations, financial, m technology implementation, process improvement, we do all of that. We've got deep bench strength in all of those things. And our goal is to provide full service, you know, consulting, you know, consulting and advisory service to all of our clients.
0: So as a consulting firm, how are you managing during the pandemic? Are you still meeting face-to-face with clients? Has it turned into this type of meeting?
1: Yeah. So it is turned into what I, so it started when the, when the pandemic first hit, obviously everything was, everything went remote. And I think we've learned a lot through the pandemic on how to engage our clients remotely and still make progress along, uh, you know, towards their business goals, how we support them, how we, you know, help them through the pandemic. So when we first started with that sort of, that sort of work, you know, work model, it was very difficult, but I think we've learned a lot and now it's become definitely more hybrid. So over the last say six eight weeks, I think I've traveled seven of those eight weeks. Right, so we're, I'm definitely getting back on airplanes, meeting our clients face to face, because I think that's that personal interaction is fundamental to our business. But I don't think we're ever going to go back to the mode where we're living on planes in our you know in front of our clients 100% of the time. It's going to be this mixed mode because it also helps with you know the cost profile. When you get to know a client personally, you can still make that interaction, um, you know, across the technology, but nothing ever really replaces the face-to-face, look me in the eye and let's talk about my business type of interaction that we have.
0: And I'm assuming that's probably very important for one of your first interactions with a client, you need to see the facility, see how they act with their team and really be there on the ground.
1: Yeah, it's, it's that, and well said, Ellie. because there's that, there's that personal interaction, but it also I like there, there are things sort of culturally with your client that you can never get over the technology, right? Whether it's video, conference call, you, you really need to look them in the eye. Uh, I was going to say shake their hand, but it's more of a fist bump type of thing now, right? You need that interaction because that sort of intellectual back and forth. Can only occur when you when you make that personal interaction like it can be supported you know over the line but at the same time that initial interaction is very important
0: now over zoom and then now back to in person you've been consulting a lot of manufacturers and COVID has hit them particularly hard right because some this these are jobs you can't do over zoom for some of them yep. um, What are you hearing from these businesses about what they did during the pandemic to survive
1: so it, it's it's so it, it's a really mixed thing right um so like you know you ask that question i'm trying to think of like there's that one silver bullet that i can tell you that everything worked or what worked and what different you know, it didn't um you know given what what i've seen so if you look at some of our food and beverage clients um particularly i'm working with a uh a, a meatpacking firm meat packing company and they had no option, like they were a, it's a fundamental business, you still had to get the, you know, food through the supply chain, so they didn't shut down at all, right, they did more of a thing, they immediately went to a, um, a testing, where every time you go in the plant, you know, you get your temperature taken, um, people were constantly tested before the vaccines, now they're, you know, they're, they're um, not, not sort of mandating vaccines, but there's a lot of, there's sort of like a lot of, you know, political or organizational pressure to get vaccinated, those are the types of things that we're seeing, right? Now you're, you know with the bad, with my clients are getting back to you know getting back to work. there's more there's more comfort from being you know, in a factory floor or in, in the office setting. So we're seeing that lift. It's sort of a very gradual thing and there's still even within our clients, I'm seeing this mixed mode interaction where even when I show up, I've got one client that's out in LA, And I've flown out there a couple of times, you show up, you show, I've shown up at the plant, walked into the plant, sat in a conference room. And the guy that I was going to meet is actually on zoom. Right. Right. So, so there's this, you got to be very diligent on saying, I'm going to meet you face-to-face in this conference room versus we're going to meet at this time, even though I'm going to be face-to-face. So that it's, those are the types of dynamics that we're seeing. It's kind of interesting.
0: Now, did some manufacturers that were essential, obviously like the food and beverage, just limit their staff? during those times, you know, how did they keep going and keep their employees safe pre-vaccine and, you know, the height of the pandemic?
1: A couple, a couple different strategies. They started doing, you know, typical manufacturer might work three shifts anyway. And, you know, traditionally like the office staff would work the first shift, right? What we, what we have seen is sort of that mixed shift where they, they started mixing and matching the, like sort of the office people or the, the indirect, you know, the indirect workforce and kind of teed it up where nobody was in the office at the same time so they staggered it either within the day or they did the type of thing like a week on week off so you worked remote a week and then you worked on site a week so they were getting creative on sort of that schedule and that interaction Um, again with those things presented their own challenges right are the right people in the right place at the right time was very difficult to manage and I think that's one of the things you know we're learning how to deal with our clients remotely I think our clients are are starting to figure out how they deal internally remotely as well.
0: Now, some of the um, clients they had to pivot into completely making different things like PPE. Correct. I think a few of your clients decided that they could help with the shortage uh, during the height of it.
1: So, so we have seen some of my particular clients. I didn't see a lot of that, but it's definitely out in the industry. Like the the, the manufacturing industry in general really rallied around the response to the pandemic with PPE, with, um, you know, manufacturing ventilators, whatever, whatever was needed. The manufacturing industry, especially in America, really stepped up almost like a World War II type of industrial response. They were able to, you know, retool to the things that were needed very quickly. It was actually a pretty impressive thing from where I sit.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just the unexpected happened, right? And within- Weeks, a lot of these companies had to pivot and even make things they had never made before. But how do they survive now? I mean, we're not quite past the pandemic, but in a perfect world, say in a year from now, we were. What is manu- What do manufacturers have to do to keep this field alive and thriving?
1: So there, it's a real. It's a really good question. There's a lot of a lot of different facets. So I'm just going to pick a couple that I think are, are are kind of pertinent, right? So if you see what's happening now with the supply chain disruption. It's it's sort of letting some of that disruption kind of flow through the supply chain, dealing with it the best you can. And sort of like you can be you can be proactive to a certain extent, but a lot of that you don't control. So you've got to be very you know very diligent in how you're managing that supply chain and your production schedule. So we're seeing that, right? And I think I think those kind of constraints are going to work their way through the supply chain, say over the next 12, to 18, maybe 24 months. But you're already seeing that, especially in semiconductors, you're seeing some of those bottlenecks alleviate themselves. What I think is going on here as well is I think there's going to be another round of disruption that I think our clients really need to get out in front of. And that's the concept of distributed manufacturing and what I would also call like e-manufacturing, because I have a couple of clients that are dealing with things like um, uh, 3D printing in the industrial space, a lot of CNC machining, a lot of things where the design is driven by you know, driven electronically. And so what we're seeing is, say in an automotive, you know, you know in, a, in a car supply chain, if you have a, I'm you know, making this up a little bit just to prove, just to make the point, say you have a car that's broken down in New York, but the, but the part's not available next to the, 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 the closest part might be in L.A. What we're going to be moving to is, you have a you have a car a piece of machinery broken down, you need a part in New York, even though the, the real production capacity is in L.A., there's this concept of having these micro sites, micro factories all over the country, where that's that car manufacturer might be able to download or send that the um, e spec of that part to a micro factory, 3D printed, get it on the machine right away. So you do you eliminate the hard, you know, physical supply chain with a distributed manufacturing model. And we're seeing a number of startups in this space that are getting real high kind of market value, you know, placed on them because that disruption in the supply chain. So I think we're going to see more of that. That's going to really fundamentally change how we think about manufacturing and the support supply chain going forward.
0: I mean, from someone who is not as knowledgeable as you, that just seems like it could be a game changer in terms of what we're going through now, even with the cars and how hard it is to get one. Um, Maybe people aren't sending the whole blueprint for a full car, but it could certainly... If you are out of a part or um, just even, I know they had some issues during the pandemic.
1: You know, it's in your spot on, Al. I think you, you nailed it, right? That's exactly what's going to go on. and I, I don't think it's going to be a, um, uh, you know, like a, a complete disruption, but our clients, especially, especially say where we practice in the middle market, like it's going to affect them pretty substantially. And if they're not out in front of it, it could be, you know, it could be sort of an existential type of event. And we're trying to work with our clients to get out in front of that curve and figure out how to adopt those types of practices and be ready for it so that you know, so they can take advantage of it. And it's not a disruption, but it, it's a business opportunity. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to take the conversation with our clients.
0: Yeah. I and mean, that sounds amazing. It just sounds so futuristic, right? We're finally there, almost there.
1: Well, if you think about, if you think about that too, you've got all of this IP and this electronic form that you're going to be sending all literally all over the world. And so what also that brings up is all of the, like, how do you protect that IP in cyberspace, right? So all of the cybersecurity issues that you hear out in the press now become even more focused because you've got sort of the, you know, the, the, the keys to the kingdom for manufacturer are those designs. Like, how do you protect that so it doesn't become exposed in the public domain? So it's a really interesting time to be practicing this stuff.
0: So how how far out do you think we are from that? Because um, it seems like obviously we already have these three D printers, but obviously we have to worry about the um, cybersecurity of it all. Is this like something that will be generated within a year? You think it's
1: happening? It is happening right now. There, like i say there are a number of companies that have adopted the you know that have adopted this business model and are supporting manufacturers and supply chain companies in kind of rethinking what they're doing. So it's happening right now. The pace of adoption of that, your guess is as good as mine right now. I, I think it's something that it's going to evolve over time because the thought process and the capabilities around it are definitely evolving. And and as, as it gets innovated with some really smart people working on it, I think even what we're looking at right now might change going forward just based on the practice of it all.
0: Um, even pandemic there was a skills gap right and it seems like a lot of it is also a misconception like you're going to be in a big dark building
1: <laughs> right Yep.
0: how do you how are you guys working to change that skills gap and you know what really causes it is it those misconceptions
1: it's so it's a number of things but you think the misconceptions is big so one of the things like um you know my tagline on on this is like we are not your, your, your father's or grandfather's manufacturing industry anymore. It is a technology, knowledge-based, pretty fast-moving type of thing. The actual, the, the skills gap, let's get back to the skills gap for a minute. The skills gap actually is up and down the career continuum. So there is definitely a need on the shop floor for people to turn wrenches and make parts. But where this is really going is, we need more of those knowledge workers. You need that sort of, you know, that 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 you know, somebody to turn the screwdriver without a doubt. But we see up and down the career continuum a need for those skill sets, and those skill sets range from anything from machine operators to data analytics, machine learning. How do you get out in front of some of this automated technology like three D printing and and really drive CNC or or you know injection, you know really true automated injection molding or plastics. How do you really drive all that? So that that is all very much high level, high skilled knowledge workers. And um, what we're trying what we're trying to do from a Grant Thornton perspective is just open up those opportunities to a more diverse work you know workforce. So it's it, you know manufacturing in the past has been sort of male dominated. You know you needed you, know, you it's just been male dominated. We'll we'll leave it at that. And how do you make it more um, more attractive to a diverse, you know, to a diverse workforce, right? So, you know, and I think that's more of just getting the, you know, getting the words out, word out, showing the opportunity, showing the, um, you know, career progression a professional can, you know, can see in manufacturing. So I'll throw out one, uh, one, one use case. I'm dealing with a manufacturer um, uh, right now where we're implementing a system, but a lot of the young engineers are, um, they're young, female, out of engineering school, and it's a really cool thing to see because you know, that's what we need, right? It's, it's that diversity. It's not just the old engineering, you know, gruff guy like I am. It's this young, vibrant, really creative talent that's starting to be applied in the manufacturing space.
0: And they're pretty high-paying jobs, correct? And also, <laughs> I've read um, a lot of manufacturers are willing to train for some of these skill sets,
1: and that's one of the things that um, it's a, one of the other kind of strategies to fill this career, you know, this, this skills gap is that training. And it's something that I think, both as an industry and even as a country, we need to really focus on what skills are necessary, what trainings is avail- available, and how do we how do we bridge that gap, right? So there is a need to get more, um, you, know, you know, machine learning, artificial technology, you know, IT type of technology skills as well as the the, the, the physical, you know, the physical technology as well. It, it's a, we can, we can um, bridge that skills gap with the right kind of training and the right, again, I'll say it again, it's that right career continuum where it's not, you're going to learn one skill and that's what you're going to be doing the rest of your life. It's, we've got to show our, you know, young professionals that there is a career continuum you can grow in this career. And there's just so many cool things around manufacturing um, that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really a limitless career.
0: And you have this conference coming up next week. You know, whoever tunes in, what do you hope they take away from what you're going to be speaking on about manufacturing in so, this age?
1: So a couple things, a couple things. Uh, from a from a broad kind of global perspective, what I want them to take away is the innovation around manufacturing that's occurring. That's what it, what's happening now and what could happen uh, going into the future, and then how do you take that and operationalize it? So we have a couple of guest uh, guest speakers that are going to talk about that. Uh, one is Alec Ross, who is a futurist, a um, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, who is going to talk about some of those things. And then we have Carly Fiorina, who was the first woman to run a Fortune 50 company, and she's going to talk more about um, how to execute that and make those kind of future concepts a reality. Um, going forward. So that's, that's one segment of it that I think is going to be a really cool dynamic to see these two, you know, see these two talk and about these issues. And then the other two are things that you just brought up. Like, how do you take like all of this, you know, all of this advanced technology, whether it's 3D printing, the CNC machining, the advanced electronic design loaded down onto a blown it down onto a uh, machine tool or whatever, whatever it might be. How do you deal with that, protect the IP, but adopt that technology over time so it's enhancing your business? So that's one of the topics. And then the, the last top we're going to talk about is um, that skills gap. And how do you, how do you enhance the diversity in the, in the workforce? How do you get the training, the skill set built over the long haul in that, you know, in that uh, demographic? But oh, one, of the, one of the other things that we're doing as part of the event is we're giving out an innovation award. And so we're, we're collecting nominations from whoever you know, whoever wants to nominate uh, a, a client or a company that's doing something that's innovative. And then what, I, what we're doing in the, um, in the event is we're actually gonna have all the participant, participants vote on who's the most innovative. And that's how we're gonna award the thing. So it's not just a backroom type, you know, type of thing. We're gonna actually have the participants decide who the innovators are, and award them appropriately. So it's going to be a pretty cool event.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a hard competition because there's going to be a lot of smart people in that yeah. Yeah. To, to choose from. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for joining us. And thank you for listening to this week's CBIA BizCast. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, YouTube, or visit cbia.com.